0: Hello and welcome to another micro-materialism episode. I'm your host, Ramsey Issa, and today we're actually joined by Andrew. What's up, Andrew?
1: Hey, how's it going? It's good to be here.
0: Absolutely. Another micro. Uh, so today we're diving into the material science uh, behind cookware. So a little bit of inspo behind this um, episode, I personally love cooking and I Try to envision myself as if I was running an experiment every time I cook. So you need the right materials for your experiment, as you would need the right materials uh, when you're cooking. So, Andrew, set the stage.
1: All right. So let's imagine we wanted to make a stir fry. Right, it's a pretty classic dish. Right, we got some chicken, got some noodles, got some uh, some vegetables. And the first thing we got to do, right, we can't just start cooking all that stuff. We gotta we gotta dice it. We gotta slice it. So I'm in my kitchen. And I go over to my knife cabinet, or maybe it's a knife holder in your case. Uh, and I got a couple of options here. All right, I have this, uh, you know, high carbon steel. I have a stainless steel. I even have the ceramic blade. So does it really make a difference between the ones that I choose? Most professional chefs swear by carbon steel blades, mainly because they can be sharpened to a much higher degree, and they're generally stronger than stainless steel. Um, Really, it's a relatively higher carbon percentage, so like one to 2%, which is high for a steel. Uh, But this also means that it's a little more brittle than stainless steel. One of the major downsides is that um, these materials aren't going to have any oxidation protection like stainless steel, so they're going to corrode unless they're cared for. Um, So, you know, they don't have that chromium that forms an oxide layer on the surface. Some chefs actually, they, they actually rest their carbon steel blades a day after use so that they can restore um, some sort of patina uh, on the outside of it. And the reason they do that is if you just constantly use it, a lot of the foods will develop this metallic taste uh, from the knife itself, which is undesirable. Um, I have a carbon steel blade in my kitchen and it has actually a paint over the blade except for the part that's sharpened, of course, and that protects it from oxidizing and keeps that metallic taste off of your food.
0: Super interesting. It's almost like it's overexercised.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, (laughs) yeah, you don't think of like resting materials, but in some cases it it can be be valuable. So the next one is a stainless steel blade, right? This is kind of the generic home choice. Most people have some of these, and I mean, they're nice because they're not expensive, they don't corrode, uh, but they can't be sharpened to the same extent right? They're not, they're not as hard, and um, you're just not going to be able to get as fine a blade with them. But, you know, the cost incentive kind of makes up for that. That being said, there are some Japanese stainless steel knives that incorporate a variety of exotic metals like molybdenum or, or nickel. They'll have like a damastic, Damascus steel, and these retain that stainless steel property while being able to actually get pretty close to the sharpness of a carbon steel. So if you're willing to spend the money, you can preserve that, uh, that, uh, corrosion resistance and still get the sharpness that you're after. Now, the last one that I'm looking at in my drawer is a ceramic blade. You'll see these, you see them on infomercials a lot, um, and they have a, a zirconium oxide uh, blade. They sinter it out of zirconium oxide powder, and it's just kind of like a white blade. And the nice thing about these is they are chemically not reactive. They don't discolor. They don't change the taste of your food, but it is a ceramic, right? If you drop this, it's it's going to shatter, as well as if you're kind of rough with it and you aren't careful when you're cleaning it and you bump it against something, it, it's going to chip. And so these are really great because you can sharpen them even more so than a, uh, a carbon steel blade. Uh, but the downside of that is now if you want to go and resharpen them, you actually have to usually give it to a, a specialist or go to a, a, a store or someplace that has specialized uh, polishing equipment because it's hard to do it by hand. So there's benefits and drawbacks to having, you know, these uh, really hard materials that hold their blade for a long time.
0: Yeah, ceramic blades, uh, you definitely got to look after a bit more. And um, interesting enough, they're actually much lighter than steel. So you end up doing uh, your arms and hands end up doing most of the work uh, if the knife is actually too light, which is what you experience with ceramic versus like a steel knife that's a bit heavier.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you want to get some gains while you're cutting your vegetables, you want to use the ceramic blade. So you got to put a little muscle into it.
0: Yeah. Now Drink your protein shake. Before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Some creatine. Um, now I've got my blade, right? Next thing is the cutting board. Most people don't even consider the cutting boards they're using. They either have, you know, grandma's cutting board that's been in the family for generations, or they have this plastic one, but does it really matter what cutting boards we use in, in some sense? Yes. Especially from an antimicrobial uh, point of view. I have a couple of studies here that kind of compared the ability for different um, bacteria to form on plastic versus hardwood cutting boards uh, after using like raw meats. And we'll put all of these studies, of course, in the, the show notes. You can go and you can verify and learn more about them yourself. But I just want to kind of run through them because I thought the results were pretty interesting. So this first study is out of the University of Wisconsin from Nessie et al. And they found that even after three minutes of contaminating a board. 99.9% of the bacteria on the wooden boards had died, while none had died on the plastic. Uh, Actually, bacteria numbers increased on the plastic cutting board overnight when they were held at room temperature, but the scientists were unable to recover any bacteria from the wooden boards when they were treated in the same way. Cliver et al. showed that people who use wooden cutting boards in their home were less than half as likely, on average, to contract salmonella uh, from their food. And this is actually a pretty high confidence interval as well. So it really shows that, you know, if you're using plastic or glass, the bacteria tends to stay on there and there's a much higher risk of uh, infection. Uh, The other thing is that even the effect of cleaning the board regularly after prepping the meat wasn't really statistically significant, even on these plastic boards. So even if you're doing these thorough cleaning measures, it might not necessarily be enough. There's something about the materials being employed here that actually kind of matters. And the explanation here, there's so much to this. This is a brief episode, but uh, milling it all provides this explanation where wood actually binds up the water that bacteria needs to grow, right? If you think about plastic versus wood, you'd be like, oh, I mean, the wood gets kind of soaked, right? Wouldn't that be better for bacteria? But the method by which it absorbs the water kind of prevents the bacteria from accessing it and being able to grow there. Additionally, wood contains a number of antimicrobial compounds, uh, which are you know released and present in a way that kind of kills off bacteria. And this makes sense as well, right? Trees also wouldn't want to be developing any bacteria on them.
0: Wow, that's actually so interesting. I would have thought the opposite. But, you know, it's at a time like this, where we're all just like hyper aware of viruses and bacteria, just kind of good information to, to know, right? Wood versus your plastic cutting board. That's so awesome.
1: Yeah. In the process of discovering or you know, reading about some of these articles, I stumbled upon this Twitter thread where this dude was uh, pointing out that when he worked in fast food, he didn't really say where it was, but the health department that governed his local jurisdiction required them to use plastic cutting boards because they were supposedly uh, safer and cleaner. So it's kind of interesting that you know some of these health choices are, aren't always informed, as informed as they should be. But OK, so we've cut up all our vegetables. We're ready to cook it. Uh. And the next question is, what kind of pan do we use? I think a lot of people have a lot of different types of pans in their kitchens and most people just grab the first one that they see, right? They don't think about it or they'll get like a specialized shape depending on it, but do the materials matter, Ramsey?
0: Good question, Andrew. Absolutely. Just like anything, material selection always matters, right? It turns out that you could imagine material selection is quite important when it comes to selecting the proper pan for what you're cooking. So, for our stir fry, we want to cook our meat and veggies. And we require a material that can achieve high enough temperature to fully cook the meat and veggies and remain physically and chemically stable. So what materials do we have at our disposal? So let's take a look at our first family of materials, plastics. So plastics and cookware are typically found as like a non-stick PTFE coated. It's polytetrafluoroethylene. So this is a very slippery compound actually accidentally invented in 1938 by DuPont chemist Roy Plunkett. So he was actually trying to make a CFC gas refrigerant, but ended up with a slippery polymer powder instead, which we now know as Teflon. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of concerns actually began to arise about the toxicity of this compound when it was discovered that DuPont in West Virginia contaminated the water supply with PFOA, which is perfluorooctonic acid, and in the development of PTFE, early on, they used to use PFOA um, for the synthesis process. I don't know if you ever had the chance to uh, watch the movie Dark Waters, but they actually uh, were representing uh, what happened. Um,
1: yeah, it was it was a uh, it was kind of one of these cases where the scientists knew that it wasn't super healthy, but uh, the information there was kind of vague enough that no one really cared to, to pursue it. And they ended up kind of like poisoning the water supply of a town. And uh, I think they've done studies. I think it's PTFE here, and maybe I'm wrong. Someone can correct me. But um, they've now found these fluorinated polymers in the DNA of virtually like every human on the planet just because of some of this water contamination. Uh, it spreads so much, and you're right, these, these things aren't breaking down anytime soon. So it's definitely a serious issue. So. Maybe it's possible we don't want to use plastic, right?
0: Yes, we definitely want to stay away from plastic. I actually came across an article that did a great job at highlighting the temperature ranges and the effects experiences by the breakdown of various uh, polymer coatings for cookware. So this article titled PTFE coated nonstick cookware and toxicity concerns, a perspective done by Sajid and company. They showed that PTFE actually starts to break down at around 550 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about close to 300 degrees Celsius, releasing particles and a little past that gases that can actually cause food-like symptoms. They also measured that the surface temperature of the PTFE coated pan was at about 400 degrees Celsius after eight minutes of heating in a conventional oven. So we're bringing our pan to about 400 degrees Celsius and the breakdown of these particles are about 300 degrees Celsius. So you could see where that, you know, where, where you could get yourself, uh, you know, some particles, some PTFE particles in your system, right, by either inhaling them or just by that polymer breaking down. So you definitely want to stay away from uh, PTFE coated pans. So thanks to material scientists, we actually have plenty of other options, right? So we still don't want our stir fry sticking to the pan. So let's reach for the ceramic coated aluminum pan. What can this pan offer us? So aluminum is generally lightweight and a great conductor of heat. Only downside is it's pretty reactive and pretty toxic when ingested. But they do a great job at countering this by anodizing the aluminum and adding like an oxide layer to it that leaves it less reactive. So. The ceramic coating offers us a much safer alternative than the PTFE nonstick pans, but ceramics are generally generally more brittle and develop micro cracks when and food tends to stick to these micro cracks um, because it'll it'll expose the anodized aluminum layer. Uh, so we lose the nonstick if micro cracks begin to develop on your ceramic-coated pans. So not a bad choice. Let's see what other pans we might have in the pantry.
1: Yeah, you know, the one of the like premium materials for cookware is copper. It's also kind of an environmental option as well, right? One it looks really nice, but what makes it really great is that it has one of the highest thermal conductivities of the traditional metals that are used in cookware. What does this mean? It means that you can achieve uh more evenly distributed heating of your food with less heat, right? Because it doesn't take as much energy to actually move heat through the material, you can use less uh, fuel, less gas to get the same amount of heating on your pan. So this means it's, it's a great way to actually reduce our energy consumption because we don't have to use it as much. And the benefit is you also get uh, nice even heating. Um, I, I like to make Turkish coffee for myself on the weekends. So I use a, a copper uh, cesva or ibrik. I'm sure any of our Turkish listeners are now cringing at my pronunciation, but you can definitely see it, right? It takes much less heat to heat that thing up. Um, but copper is not perfect. There's a few issues with it. What are some of those, Ramsey? Uh,
0: the issues with copper. So if you decide to cook uh, acidic foods, you tend to have the copper actually leach out into your, into your food. So... What they do to counter this they actually line the inner walls of your copper with tin so there's no direct uh contact with your food and the copper uh pan i actually want to bring it back for a second so that word it's a it's actually (laughs) it's an arabic word and it yeah it means like that uh like kind of like a kettle to and they typically make coffee in this which is pretty cool um Okay, so let's look at some alternative options. Um, So let's reach for the next pan, right? So this one feels a little bit heavy. It's our cast iron pan, if you could imagine. This pan is great for searing meats at high temperatures. And in the process of of making this alloy, they actually add carbon and silicon to make it less brittle and less hard. So they could sand that surface down to give you that smooth finish. So what I found pretty interesting uh, about the process uh, of making these cast iron pans, they add a nonstick seasoned layer to the pan, which I guess you'd ask, what is a seasoned layer, right? So this layer acts as a nonstick coating, and the process is done by heating up typically flaxseed oil to a hot enough temperature to vaporize and actually polymerize the oil in the pan. The result is like a plastic-like coating to the surface of the pan. This is also why they tell you not to, um, wash your cast iron pans with soap because soap does a great job at removing oils. And if you use soap on your cast iron, you're going to actually remove that seasoned layer that acts as, uh, your non-stick coating. Okay. So maybe not the best choice for our stir fry. Let's reach in one last time. So stainless steel pans, this has this got to be the most versatile pan out there? Generally, a poor conductor heat, so oftentimes you find this pan with like an aluminum inner lining. They'll sandwich aluminum uh, between two steel plates, and you'll have uh, much better thermal conductivity uh, in your pan, giving you less hot spots and at the surface of the pan, which gives you an even uh, an even cook across you know your whole stir fry or whatever you you plan on cooking. So typically good for cooking almost anything, your steel pan. Um, You also don't have to worry about stainless steel leaching any metals into the food when cooking at high enough temperatures. This is because the surface is also heat resistant. So stainless steel also does a great job at producing that delicious layer, um, that delicious browning layer by the Maillard reaction. So what is the Maillard reaction? It's actually a culinary phenomenon that occurs when the proteins in the food are heated to temperatures close to 310 degrees Fahrenheit and 155 degrees Celsius or higher, producing new aromas and flavors in your food that make your food absolutely delicious, right? So this reaction was actually named after uh, a French chemist, Louis Camille Maillard, who discovered the process at the start of the 20th century. So what do you think, Andrew? Sounds like we might have found our pan.
1: Yeah, I think stainless steel is a good option. And I mean, I'm kind of lazy, right? There's all this stuff about getting the right cook, uh, you know, the best cooking experience with the pan, but also you're going to have to clean it at the end. You know, cast iron is nice and it creates, it's a great way to cook food, but having to go and like scrape it at the end can be kind of t- troublesome, especially if you're tired, you got home late from work. So stainless steel is a good option. One more thing about the... Um, Uh, cast iron is that if you do use soap, cast iron is very porous and those soap molecules are going to get in your pores and your food is going to taste like soap for a long time. So you definitely want to avoid that.
0: Absolutely. Is that something you've experienced?
1: No, but I was, I was warned by several people when I bought one, they were like, don't, don't even dare try to put any soap in this. It's just going to ruin your life. And then I looked it up and uh, yeah, so definitely avoid that. Before we go, just a quick thank you to some of the sponsors that have made the show possible, matmatch.com and the journal Materials Today from Elsevier. We've talked about them extensively. Matmatch is fantastic. Materials Today is fantastic. Definitely go check them out. We'll put links in the show notes.
0: Awesome. Uh, also, if you have any questions or feedback, please send us emails at materialism.podcast at gmail.com. And make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. If you like the show and want to help us reach more people, consider leaving a review. It helps us improve and it exposes new people to the show. Finally, check out our Instagram uh, page at materialism.podcast and connect with us and let us know what new material you'd like to hear more about. Uh, We'd also like to thank and give a shout out to Alphabot for allowing us to use his music within the podcast. Check him out on Spotify. And as always, special thanks to Colabite who created the intro and outro for the podcast. Um, he makes a ton of really cool synthwave music, which you can check out at colabyte.bandcamp.com. Thanks guys.
1: Check you next time.